The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to open your mind and your heart? Welcome to the Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. With your host, Lauren N. Nile, we can mature beyond today's prejudice and xenophobia. We can save our beautiful planet. The keys are self-awareness, awareness of others, and most important, love. Now, here's Lauren. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my show, uh, The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. If you've been following my show, you know that, that the purpose of the show is to have us engage in conversations that I believe are crucial for humanity's future survival. And you also probably remember that we're starting with the fact that we are all one, that one of the things that I think we really must, that I believe deeply, that we really must be aware of if we are going to survive as a species and hopefully thrive in the future, is that we are one, literally one family, one human species. Uh, And I I believe that that is one of the crucial things that we must know if we are going to avoid destroying ourselves. Now, again, if you've been following the show, you know that I used uh, the first show. Well, first of all, you know that this is show three in the segment and you know, in the series rather, and you know that show one was an introduction to the whole uh, series of shows that I'll be doing. And that last week was show two, and in that show, we spent time looking at the true biological oneness of humanity. Uh, The title, I think, was The Human Species, We're All Related, and Our DNA Proves It. So now today, on our third show, we're going to be looking at the issue of unconscious bias. The title of today's show is Unconscious Bias, The Source and the Cure. And we're focusing on unconscious bias today because it is one of the things that I believe keeps us as a species from being able to see our oneness, from being able to regard each other as the siblings, the sisters and brothers that we really are to each other, the world over. Now, of course, we aren't literal sisters and brothers, but we are all seven plus billion of us across the earth equally human, equal in human value, the same on the inside, much more alike than we are different, and literally all related, physically, biologically, related to each other. And as we discussed last week, our DNA proves it. So now, in terms of maturing as a species, my friends, around this whole issue of oneness, around the whole issue of uh, the, the oneness of humanity, In my view, we are going in the right direction. I mean, I think we're really making progress. And much of that progress has been made over the course of my lifetime. You know, around the world, uh, slavery based on skin color is pretty much gone. I mean, there are pockets of it in a couple of places in the world. 
But for the most part, as a human phenomenon, as a human institution, skin color-based slavery is gone from the earth, for the most part. Now, tragically, we are still, as a species, dealing with what one might refer to and think of as slavery, really, uh, based on gender. There's still a vast um, international sex slave industry around this planet uh, that many uh, people are, are, are working on. But unfortunately, that still does exist to an extent that is tragic indeed this day. But we're working on it. Uh, the world over, we've made progress. We're working on eliminating uh, extreme poverty over the next 30 years. Global Citizen is really working uh, just effortlessly. Need to go uh, as a species. So, yes, in my view, we are indeed making progress. In this country, in the 1960s, we made tremendous progress toward understanding that we are one and doing what we could legislatively to undo decades and decades, indeed centuries, of discrimination against people. Of course, long before the the 1960s, we started in the 1860s. Slavery was abolished. Human slavery was abolished in this country in, 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 in 1865 um, with the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And then we really had very, very little progress over the next, really, almost 100 years. There was very little progress from 1865 when, when this act was passed. Um but in the 1960s, we really started making a lot of good progress. So, in 1963, for example, the Equal Pay Act was... You can't pay people differently uh, if they're doing the same or comparable work based on their gender. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, doesn't matter. If you're doing the same work or comparable work, you should be paid the same. That was the Equal Pay Act of 1963. Then we had the Civil Rights Act. The next year, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which basically outlaw discrimination based on race, color, religion, national origin, and gender. Again, based on race, color, national, national origin, religion, and actually, I should say sex, um, in pretty much every aspect of life, or in most aspects of life. It was the Civil Rights Act of 64 that did away with the segregation that I grew up with as a child, for example. The next year was the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which basically said that if someone's born in the United States, they're an American citizen, and you can't deprive them of their right to vote based on their race. So we had the Equal Pay Act of 63, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, and then three years later, we had the Fair Housing Act. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 1967, two years later, actually, we had the ADA, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, which said that you can't, employers cannot any longer discriminate against people who are 40 years of age and above uh, based on their age. I mean, it, it had been common practice for employers to start, in a sense, putting yeah, using more of the medical benefits and they weren't as quick and as fast as the younger learners. Uh, you know what, in 1967, the Congress said, no, enough of that. The next year, 1968, we had the Fair Housing Act, which said that you can't discriminate against people in terms of uh, showing them houses and allowing them to buy and, 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 and purchase and rent 
housing in particular neighborhoods. Then a few years later, four years later, we had Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, which prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex in educational institutions receiving federal aid. Now, when we think of Title IX, we think of sports, and Title IX did a tremendous amount for girls in sports, a tremendous amount. I mean, it it, it really started leveling the playing field in, in ways that were amazing. But it also protects, actually, both girls and boys from sexual harassment and uh, other forms of sexual discrimination in in educational institutions. It was huge. Then a few years after that, in 1990, we had the education amendments of, uh, I'm sorry, we had the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, which, uh, of course, uh, outlawed discrimination against based on their uh, disability. So, um, yeah, we made tremendous progress in the 1960s, tremendous progress. Um, and uh, since then, we've been on a steady march in the playing field in the United States, which is a tremendous effort. Now, unfortunately, today we know that our civil rights are under attack, many of us believe, I should say. Uh, we recently had a ban on transgender people and the military. Uh, voting rights are under attack uh, these days with voter suppression um, initiatives and redistricting initiatives such that people of color, younger people, senior citizens uh, have a much harder time now both registering to vote and voting than they had in the past. Um, we have had a, an attempt to ban people from entering into the country based on their religion. So um, many, many of the gains that people fought for and indeed died for in the 50s and 60s with the Civil Rights Act, with the second wave of the women's movement in the 1970s, many of those are now under attack in what is for many people a frightening, frightening way right now. But... Um, One of the things that we need to work on, in addition to continuing to work on civil rights and human rights in those ways, one unconscious bias. And so uh, we're going to spend some time now talking about unconscious bias because regardless of what we do with the laws, regardless of what the legislation says, as human beings, we don't deal with with what's going on in our heads then, in my view, all is lost. I mean, laws cannot legislate attitudes. Laws cannot legislate um, our, our feelings, our, our attitudes about each other. Uh, they can't legislate our emotions. They can't make us feel a sense of each other. So uh, it's at this point now that we realize that we now have to deal with our unconscious bias. We have to now go inside. We still have to continue the work in the world, on the outside, with regard to human rights and civil rights. But we also are aware now that we have to do that internal work. We have to work on what's in our heads and what's in our hearts. We have to work on those biases that, for so many of us, are indeed unconscious. Um, And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I have a guest who's going to be sharing that conversation with us. I'll introduce our guest to you after our break, uh, but he is, uh, I believe, a lot from listening to. Um, so, um, let's just 
briefly introduce the whole issue of unconscious bias. What is it? Well, unconscious bias really refer to the the stereotypes and, and, and resulting attitudes and feelings that are affect that affect our conscious assumptions, our conscious actions toward others. Again, there are unconscious thoughts, which are often based in stereotypes, our unconscious thoughts and resulting attitudes and feelings that affect our conscious assumption and assumptions and actions about others. Deep in our subconscious. Deep in our subconscious. And they are deeper than our known biases. They are often not accessible through mere introspection. They are sort of in there, if you will. They are in our, our brains. They cause us to have attitudes, judgments, and feelings about other people based on characteristics such as race, sex, age, disability, appearance, sexual orientation, both favorable and unfavorable um, views of others. Often they're favorable toward our own group and unfavorable toward others, although not always, and we'll talk about that. Anyway, why don't I uh, stop for now and let you know that we'll pick up after the break, uh, at which I will, uh, after which I'll introduce our guest, and then we'll continue with this conversation. See you on the other side of the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi, everybody. Thanks for uh, coming back after the break. I'm still Lauren, your host. And what we're going to do now is just continue with just a few comments that I'll make on unconscious bias, and then I'll introduce our guest to you. So we were talking about unconscious biases as 
thoughts and feelings in our minds that cause us to have attitudes and judgments and feeling about other people based on characteristics such as their sex, their age, their race, their disability, their appearance, etc. The thing is that having unconscious biases doesn't mean that we're bad people. They don't, we, they don't make us bad people. We're not bad people because we have them. We didn't ask to have unconscious biases. We sort of got them the same way we got language as we were growing up, almost through a process that's sort of like osmosis, you know. They were all around us in society, in our culture. The messages were there, and we just picked them up. So it's not to say that we're bad people. We all have them, no matter what our color, no matter what our race, our sex, our age. Um, so I just want to say that there's there should be no guilt and no blame about having them. What there should be, though, is an awareness of them, an awareness of our responsibility to work on them, to become conscious of them so that they can uh, not affect our attitudes or our behaviors toward others. So the good news is that our brains are incredibly complex and that we can indeed make tremendous progress toward, if you will, unlearning many of our unconscious biases. So here today to talk to us about unconscious bias is our guest, A very, very good friend of mine, someone whom I've known for 30 years. In fact, uh, I celebrated my 30-year friendship anniversary with Jack and his partner, Teresa, just this last summer. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Jack, and then we'll get into what I hope is going to be a very interesting conversation. Dr. Jack C. Straton is an associate professor at Portland State University, holding a joint appointment in physics and in interdisciplinary studies. His teaching focuses on diversity, astronomy, and social responsibility. Dr. Straton's research ranges from anti-racist pedagogy to quantum scattering theory. Go figure, right? (laughs) He received the first Portland State University President's Faculty Diversity Initiative Award in 2005. Dr. Straton founded Men Against Rape in Eugene, Oregon in 1985 and then followed Following, uh, founding similar groups in Washington, D.C. and Manhattan, Kansas. Dr. Straton has presented numerous workshops, speeches, and classes to corporations, nonprofit organizations, and educational institutions uh, on ending gender violence and racism. And it is a pleasure, Jack, to have you on the show this morning. I thank you very, very much for agreeing to be my guest this morning, and especially since I know that you're more of a night owl than an early bird. So welcome, Jack, and thank you very much. Thank you, Lauren. I'm totally delighted to be here. Sure. Well, so now, Jack, I have some questions for you, and I'm hoping you will will just uh, elucidate us. Uh, I'm sorry, you will just illuminate us, rather, uh, with your responses, which I know, through 30 years of friendship with you, are based on research and life experience. So, if you're ready, I'd like to just dive into question one. Okay, let's, ro- let's roll. All right, first question. What are some examples, Jack, of some of the kinds of unconscious racial biases that European Americans can have based upon your membership in that group as a European American yourself? What, what are some examples of the kinds of unconscious racial biases that European Americans can have? Well, as you were saying, Lorna, society is totally filled with messages that we all pick up about various ethnicities. And, you know, a couple of the prominent ones that I find myself and others with my ethnicity uh, being aware of or, you know, being unconscious of and having them manifest in our behavior and our 
speech is um, that there's this idea that those with lighter skin tone are somehow superior to those with darker skin tone. Uh, and we're taught to fear those with darker skin tone. And uh, I know that many of us think that somehow uh, racial bias was fixed in 1965, 1964 with the Civil Rights Act, or that you know this is something that people in a certain region of the country uh, hang on to, and and you know other regions are free of racism, and you know maybe certain classes have more racism than others, but. You know, I live in a very liberal city in Portland, Oregon, and, uh, you know, racial bias is something that we experience as much as anybody in the world. There was a a brilliant study by Margaret Beale Spencer uh, in 2010. Uh, She's a leading researcher in the field of child development, and her team tested 133 children from four schools in the greater New York area and four in Georgia. And she found levels of white bias ranging from 66% to 76% for four-year-old and five-year-old children, wow. you know, on what question was asked. And there are questions like, you know, show me the child who has the skin color most children don't like. Wow. Show me the dumb child. And, you know, this is a remarkable study of not that long ago. Um, it's actually available. It, it was uh, broadcast as a documentary on Anderson Cooper in mm-hmm. May 2010, uh, the 15th yeah. to the 17th. So I do recommend that people seek that out. It's it's very, very interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, just for the record, I, I want people to know that I'm clear that African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, uh, uh, you know, uh, Native Americans, all of us can have, and indeed I believe on some level, do harbor uh, racial bias um, the reason I asked you to focus on the biases that European Americans can have, Jack, is that um, that is the group, of course, that is in power in the United States and, and therefore the group uh, whose racial biases can have the most impact on people's lives. But I am in no way uh, suggesting that it is only European Americans that have racial bias. That uh, is, is absolutely not the case. Um, so uh, I thank you for that. And let me just say, with regard to the, the Anderson Cooper study, I have seen that, and it is interesting, fascinating, tragic, and extremely sad. Um, because one of the things, in addition to the Anderson Cooper study, one of the things I'm aware of is uh, the study that was um, done, oh gosh, maybe four or five years ago, that repeated the study done by uh, Dr. Clark in the 1950s, of African-American children. The, it's the famous doll experiment in which a white doll and a black doll were placed in front of young, young African-American children. Some of these kids seemed to be four, five, six years old, and they were asked the same questions, and they had the same responses. Which doll is the pretty doll? And those little black children chose the white doll. Which doll is the smart doll? And those little black children chose the white doll. Which doll is the good doll? And those little black children chose the white doll. Which doll is the bad doll, the ugly doll, the stupid doll? And those little black children chose the black doll. So we know um, that the um, messages that we've received about race, whether it be African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, or Asian Americans, 
are stories that we have all heard. They're stereotypes to which all of us on some level have succumbed, I believe, or the vast majority of us, maybe I should say, um, even those of us who are in the target group. And that's why we're doing the show today on unconscious bias. Now, Jack, I'd like to ask you, second question, can you tell us about how you recognized when you yourself may have been operating from unconscious bias? We're, we're going to go personal now, and I'm going to ask you to, to share with us, when did you first recognize, whoa, I think that may be a stereotype. Wow, let me think about this. Let me, let me sort of become aware. Let me, if you will, check myself and figure out what may be happening. Yes, so I shall reveal all. Um, <laughs> Good. I want to Thank get you. to the question by really looking at, you know, here we have four and five-year-old children who, you know, clearly have bias, both black children and, and white children. And so the question is, do we lose this bias as we get older? You know, is this something that you pick up and with our, as our intelligence and wisdom grows that we get rid of it? And so, you know, the question would be, you know, you know, do I still have this? You know, I'm now at age 62, and you would think that after my years of, of work, I've lost all of this stuff, you know, and indeed someone like me would be exactly the person you would imagine to have lost it because I grew up with a mother who rebuked me when I came home at age six with a rhyme that included a racial epithet. You know, she told me she never wanted to hear me say that word again. And my father, you know, was likewise a believer in justice who, as a Christian minister, was on a team that sued the city of Eugene to force it to remove a huge neon and cement cross that had been erected in the dead of night on city property. Mm. And, you know, as you mentioned, I had been working on gender justice since 1985 and been doing workshops around the country, and I facilitate interracial dialogue groups. And so you would think if anyone were able to free themselves of racial bias, unconscious bias, even conscious bias, you know, it would be someone like me. And yet, a couple of years ago, I was facilitating uh, an interracial dialogue group on white privilege uh, when one of the Latinos present mentioned that he was reading a book in French. And I had this instant response of, French? But he's Latino. (laughs) Uh, Rapidly followed uh, by a second mental flash, which was, well, of course he's bilingual, but his English doesn't count because he needs that to get along in the U.S. And my third thought was, you know, what the bleep is going on? I've never had a conversation with myself about differential linguistic propensities of various ethnic groups. This is all unconscious bias coming through. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Wow, yeah. No, Jack, I, I hear you. I mean, here you are. As you say, you've, your, your whole life has been de- dedicated to unraveling systems of discrimination and oppression. And yet, here was an Hispanic person saying, well, I read this book in French. And your mind went, ding, ding, ding. What? In French? You read it in French? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was just sort of a cognitive dissonance, I guess, for you. Wait, how could you read a book in French? You're Hispanic. It it reminds me of the story of, um, I don't know who it was now, but I heard it fairly recently, um, a British actor of African descent who speaks in the Queen's English. I mean, he... Uh, he speaks um, in very sort of classic British English. And he told a very funny story about how people just don't believe that that's really the way he talks. <laughs> Come on, man. How, you know, how do you really talk? You know, um, it's, it's those ways in which we just can't see that we're, 
we're just human beings. We're just human beings, all of us. Um, so I, I hear you. I understand your story. Uh, I've had those moments myself and have thought, Lauren, think about it. Why wouldn't this person, you know, uh, like, oh, I don't know, uh, Hispanic food? Or why wouldn't this person be able to understand, you know, uh, I don't know, Hindu or something like that? So, um, I'm sorry, the, the Hindu religion, if you will. So, yeah, um, I have those moments myself. So, we, it's time for us to go to another break now. When we come back, we're going to pick up with our conversation with Dr. Jack Strayton on the whole issue of unconscious bias. See you on the other side of the break, everybody. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Lauren Nile, and I'm here today talking to our guest, Dr. Jack Strayton, who is an associate professor at Portland State University in uh, physics and interdisciplinary studies. And we are talking about the issue of unconscious bias. So just continuing, getting right back into the questions, I'd like to ask you, Jack, how do you think unconscious bias impacts the person who holds the bias? In other words, the person who who has the the stereotypes, the the fear of other, uh, the person who was different from themselves. How do you think the unconscious bias impacts that person, impacts them emotionally, impacts the quality of their life? What what do you think? So uh, one of the things that uh, we run into when we find ourselves in a position of uh, having acted out or thought through bits of bias is you know, we typically think we're supposed to feel shame and guilt for, you know, having these awful thoughts or, you know, and, you know, my response to that is I didn't ask for any of this stuff. 
Mm. You know, I didn't sign up for Racism 101. Let me go learn some good bias. These are all (laughs) thoughts that come in without my permission, without any of our permission. And so I don't feel any guilt. I don't feel any shame. I feel angry Mm. at a society that would set me up this way. Mm. And, you know, it affects me on a very deep level to... uh, realize that I'm being manipulated. You know, being a scientist, I pride myself on rational thought and Mm -hmm. to realize that there are all these irrational messages that I've picked up and linked up in in certain ways, it's it's quite disturbing to me. Mm, You know, and then, of course, we get to the issue of, you know, here I am in this particular story I just told, a man who knows one language sitting in judgment (laughs) of a man who knows three and I realized that's the consciousness of white supremacy. Mm. And oh, wow, there's a pretty heavy word to throw around, but really that's <laughs> exactly what it is. So, mm. you know, you have to realize that, you know, the, that this is a, a really thick topic. Um, and when I bring my bias into the institution I work in, it profoundly affects society. Whereas those we think of as white supremacists who are, you know, maybe off in, in rural areas, um, you know, who are not connected with the institutions, you know, their effects on society are much less uh, mm-hmm. though overt bigots than... Let me, let me, let me see if I can on- clarify. Let, let me see yeah. if I can just clarify a little bit, Jack. When you say people who might live in rural areas... I mean. I, I should clarify, I'm not saying everyone who lives in a rural area is a bigot. I'm saying of those who are, if you're living away right. from institutions, um, the, the chances that you can cause harm to people of color are much less than if you're someone who is, you know, a fairly nice person who happens to have unconscious bias, who works in a huge institution. Because what? the power of the institution magnifies the prejudice that we all have and it comes out in sideways ways in the things that we do and the things that we don't do. Sure. So, so absolutely. So just to sort of um, be absolutely clear for our listeners, um, if someone, for example, who may or may not uh, live in a rural area, let's go really stereotypical here, who may live in a rural area, let's say in the South, someone who is uh, in the, you know, in the, let's say, working class or below, uh, someone who may be a member of the local KKK chapter. Someone, you know, when we think of bigots, oftentimes we think of that kind of person, and, and that's a stereotype, uh, believe me. But that's what comes to mind for many people. But what I hear you saying, Jack, is you know what? That person's ability to affect society and to affect the the lives of people of color is rare, is kind of small. They can go to Charlottesville, Virginia, and they can wreak havoc about you know, a statue of a Confederate general coming down, but that's kind of it. Whereas someone like yourself, who is an associate professor at a major university and, who's, who, and who is making decisions about who's going to, for example, which students are perhaps going to get, uh, I don't know, fellowships or which students are going to be able to study abroad. I mean, I know you don't make those particular kinds of decisions, but someone in your position who operates from their unconscious bias has much more of an opportunity to impact society than the person that I described who lives in perhaps the rural area, perhaps in the South, perhaps working class or or below, perhaps a member of the local KKK chapter. You have people in your position 
who operate from unconscious bias can impact the lives of others and the society as a whole, much more so than that other person. Is that what I hear you saying? Is that a fair translation? That's precisely what I'm trying to say. You know, I write letters of recommendation for students, you know, if they're petitioning for, you know, relief from some particular requirement in the university. My unconscious bias may or may not play out in each of those situations, but I need to be aware that I have them so that I can hold those tendencies in check. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, I work for a university myself here in Southern California, and I just spoke to a student maybe a month ago who said that he had asked for a letter of recommendation from his advisor. The student is Hispanic American. The advisor is, is European American. And the student's name is George, and he has always gone by George. But for some reason... The professor refers to him as Jorge and even wrote his letters as if his name was Jorge. He put Jorge in his letters. And he had to ask his professor to write the letters again. He's asked him time and time again, my name is George. Please call me that. That's what my parents named me. There's nothing wrong with the name Jorge, but that is not my name. And and yet (laughs) he says, the, the, the student says, my fear, my fear, Lauren, is that he sees me as Jorge, and with that comes a whole universe of, of stereotypes and images and thoughts about my capability to be a researcher in my field that will harm me. So I think that's a classic example of what you're referring to, is it not, Jack? Yes. I mean, here's another sort of graphic way to put this. When I think about the Charleston folks, you know, I think about the phrase, you know, he doesn't have a racist bone in his body, you know, when referring mm. to everyone else. And, mm. you know, so the, the idea that comes up is, you know, the racist bone is the, 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 the support for the fist that you use to punch someone in the face. And most of us don't have that. But, you know, I think of myself as having a racist intestinal polyp. It's like <laughs> I have emotional responses to people, you know, I, and, you know, I do or I don't do based on emotion as much as thought sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we really have to be aware of, of the level in which we're working, um, both, both emotionally as, as well as rationally, because it all comes into what we do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will, I will borrow that from you. I may not have a racist bone, but I do have a racist emotional poly- uh No, I'm sorry, a racial intestinal, intestinal polyp. polyp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to borrow that from you, Jack. Of course, yes. of course, of course, I will, I will, I will give you credit. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to spend just a minute talking about the next question, and that is, well, how does it affect the people? How does unconscious bias affect the people for whom the bias is held? In other words, the people who are the targets of the bias. How, is it, how does it impact their lives? Well, I'll just, as a person of color in the United States, tell you that I don't think the average European American really truly understands the extent, the amount to which it impacts the quality of our lives. Now, we're talking about, let me just do a freeze frame. We're talking about race today. But we have unconscious bias as human beings. We have unconscious bias against people uh, based on their uh, sex, based on their sexual orientation, their gender identity, their disability, their age. Believe me, in this show, we're going to get to all of it. We're, we're, we're focusing on race today, and I, I just wanted to, to understand that diversity. 
get to the other issues. But in terms of how unconscious racial biases affect uh, particularly people of color in the United States, I can give you one story after another that might illustrate the point. My most recent one, I was in a store recently, uh, joined the line to get into the line so that I could pay for my item and, and check out. When the woman who was the last person in line, obviously the person that I was going to get behind, looked and saw that I was approaching. She was European-American. I'm African-American. That woman, upon seeing me about to get behind her in line, got so close. This was maybe a month ago. She walked up so close to the woman in front of her that I literally thought, oh my goodness, does that woman not feel her breathing on her neck? She was that close. She got that close to the woman in front of her. And after about, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, she turned around slowly to sort of look at me. And I thought, here it is. Here it is. Oh, my goodness. What do you make when you see my physical form? What what happens in your mind? Uh there I was having a, a nice day, and then boom, there it is. And the thing is that you never know when it's going to pop up, when it's going to happen. So you kind of live expecting it, which is a very sad way to live, because you know that it could happen at any moment, in any context. But that's the kind of thing, I, I you know, some people refer to it as a, a daily indignity or a microaggression, that you, then you would believe, then, then live with it, would, would really believe. So, um, how does it impact the quality of our lives? Wow. Um, tremendously. Tremendously. Because those kinds of experiences are not rare. They're not unusual in your life. You know, just seeing the apprehension on people's faces, just when you make eye contact with a person, and they may be smiling, and then they see you, and you see the smile fade. Um, it's, and you may say, well, why do you think it's because of your race? In all circumstances, I'm sure it isn't, but in so many, that's how it feels, you see, because you've experienced it based on your race in so many other instances in which it really isn't deniable that it is because of your race. So um, to just see the apprehension on people's faces when they interact with you um, so often on almost a daily basis in your life, if not a daily basis impacts your life tremendously and in in not a good way as you might imagine well it's time for another break uh let's go ahead and do that and uh dr straight and i will see you on the other side thanks for listening friends Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor, appropriately, to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. 
the goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Our guest, Dr. Jack Strayton, we're talking about unconscious bias. So, Jack, I have another question for you. You ready? I am. All right. My question for you now, Jack, is what can we do, based on your years of experience of working in this field, doing anti-racist work, doing anti-sexist work, leading seminars, uh, doing keynote addresses, even um, testifying before your state legislature <laughs> uh, on some of these issues, what can we do to become aware of our unconscious biases and then begin to, if you will, unlearn them. First of all, do you think it's possible to even make progress in this way? And if so, what are some practical things that we can do as human beings to start seeing each other as the sisters and brothers that we really are to each other and to try to at least limit the extent to which we operate out of our unconscious bias? Well, first of all, and, you know, clearly following up on your story is that those of us uh, who don't have the experiences that you have need to learn to really listen to stories of of people who are talking out of how unconscious bias negatively affects their lives. Very often, uh, European Americans will, you know, interpret what other people say or will, you know, react or generalize, will universalize and say, well, it couldn't be this, you know, it could have been that, this, that, and the other. But no, we really need to just sit and listen and hear the pain in your experience and also imagine what that white woman was experiencing then and have compassion yeah. for her Yes. because she's so out of touch with her humanity. Yes. And when we can get into, get into this way of, of awareness, I think we can bypass a lot of the, the wires that are uh, messed up inside of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, another practical uh, action is to you know, think about all of the messages we have about you know, who is uh, you know, smart and intelligent and capable in society. You know, shifting over to gender bias for just a moment, you know, there are all sorts of professions that many of us think that women are suited for and others not. And mm-hmm. so one of the ways in which we can undo that bias is to consciously patronize women in technical fields, for instance, like medicine. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, this is not just a, a political choice, but it's also a self-protective one because 
after all, women in technical fields have had to work twice as hard to overcome mm. the prejudice of their teachers and their colleagues and are admitted to the old boys club only if they are twice as good as the old boys. So, <laughs> you know, I like those odds, frankly. <laughs> you know, I want to trust my life to someone who uh, is very likely much better equipped to give me medical advice than someone who has slid through the system because it works for them. Wow. You know, thank you for that, Jack. I, I honestly uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. First, as you say, we must begin to listen. Um, and so if it's, well, let's say, for example, if it's a, you know, a person with a disability thus far in my life does not live with a disability, trying to explain their daily experiences of being patronized, of, of not being seen, not being heard, it's upon me to really listen to that person and not say, well, come on. I mean, that happens to everybody every now and then. Maybe it was just a rude waiter or, well, why do you think it's always your disability? Why do you always go there? No, first of all, that's disrespectful. But secondly, I can't learn if I'm in the With regard to race, the same thing. It's incumbent upon European Americans to listen to experiences of people of color, to really take it in and to try to understand you know, what the story is about, what the experience is about. And then, as you say, secondly, to really think, wow, what would it be for me to live my life like that? Mm-hmm. To almost on a daily basis see those, those expressions, to see not hatred so much, but the apprehension and sometimes fear as well. And then thirdly, Jack, I think you make an excellent point. And you're right. In that moment, not only was I like, oh, my gosh, what do you – what do you see when you look at me? Yes, I was there. But also in the next second, and this has only come after years of working on myself, I felt compassion. I felt compassion for that woman because I thought, what is your life like that you are so afraid of a person who looks like me that you, that you have to you know, move up so close to the woman in front of you in order to get distance from me as much as possible? What, what is your life like that you go through life with that kind of fear of, of others. I, I, I really did have compassion for her because I thought, and she was an older woman, and I thought, oh my gosh, you've lived your entire life like this with no clue of what your life could be like. And I, I don't mean to sound patronizing or condescending, but, you know, what your life could be like if you were aware, of, uh, for example, friends who are, you know, of very many different uh, colors, varieties, etc. And she may, she may, but it just may be, you know, a strange black person that, that puts her um, sort of in a place of, of fear and apprehension. So yes, um, listening to others, trying to understand, trying to put ourselves in their shoes and thinking, gosh, how would I feel if I went through life this way? And then also feeling compassion for that person who is behaving in the way that that is hurtful. I think those are critical for us as as a nation, as a species, if we're going to mature beyond all of these isms. Would please to close out with any final statement that you may have on this issue. You have been wonderful today. Again, I thank you, especially being a night owl, <laughs> for uh, being <laughs> to be with with me on the show today. I'm, I have some uh, closing words I'm going to say, but I'd like to give you a chance to uh, to finish up with whatever thoughts you'd like to. Uh, to uh, share with us on the show today, in addition to the wonderful thoughts you've already shared with us. 
I think just very briefly, in doing this work, in doing some self-examination, in listening to people of color express their experiences, I'm finding my true humanity. And it's a total blessing for me to become more fully human. How could I not love exploring this path? Hmm. Wow. So let me, let me just ask you then, had you not explored this path, Jack, and this is a hard question, I, I imagine. Can you even think about the kind of life you'd be living right now? It, I, wow, no. I mean, <laughs> it, it would be a bland life. It would be a life without color in it. <laughs> Literally. It life without joy in it. Well, mm-hmm. I, no, I probably could find joy in my life, but it, it just, it's inconceivable to me. Yeah. who have missed out on this wonderful exploration with dear friends like you and others in my life. Mm. Well, I tell you, as I do, and, and Teresa, and, and knowing the path that you've been on for so many years and the wonderful work that you and how conscious you are um, and how you try your best to bring others along with you and have them understand this journey of discovery and looking at oneself not to say oh my god I'm a racist we probably feel guilt that holds prejudice in place so once again it's not about guilt as you so so uh, wonderfully said um, just looking at myself and going wow I didn't ask to have this I know I have it it's part of me um, and uh, yeah, I do feel some anger about that because I know that it's probably limiting my life in ways that I'm totally unaware of. So, um, yeah, to be able to be consciously on that path, Jack, has been, as you say, a blessing to you, but it's also been a wonderful gift to those of us who've been walking this this path with you. You have uh, facilitated workshops with me and have just educated me and illuminated me in ways that I could not imagine. Um, And so, as my European-American friend, but most importantly, as my friend, Jack, I really thank you for your years of work in this field. And um, I, again, thank you for being our guest this morning. Thank you so much, Lauren. You've been a blessing in my life, and I hope your listeners uh, come to that point of view as well. (laughs) I'm going to do my best. Tell Teresa, I said, hey, and we will will. talk again soon. And I'll probably have you on the show again if you like. I'd love that. I would love that. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, and bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, listeners, um, I think we are almost uh, out of time. And so I will thank you for listening in today and tell you that I had a wonderful time with you this morning. Wish you well during this next week and hope to uh, hear you again. On next week's show, I'm Lauren Nile, your host. Take good care, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Please join your host, Lauren N. Nile, for another edition of our program next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you right here next week.